If somebody came and told you what I will tell you right now, I would probably not believe it. But on Saturday morning, uh, in my devotionals, and I didn't know of anything that had happened in Israel as of yet, I was in Jeremiah 47. I mean, not, you know, I don't believe in chance. Jeremiah 47 says this, Gaza will be humiliated, its head shaved bald, Ashkelon will lie silent. You, your, you remnant from the Mediterranean coast, how long will you cut yourselves in mourning? Now, O sword of the Lord, when will you be at rest again? Go back into your sheath, rest, and be still. But how can it be still when the Lord has sent it on a mission? For the city of Ashkelon and the people living along the sea must be destroyed. By the way, just Ashkelon is, a, is an Israeli city that is near to Gaza. Uh, our God in our last trip was from Ashkelon. And um, you get a picture here of uh, this is Gaza, this little strip of land where these terrorists came across. And, uh, but what's been happening, they're bombing Ashkelon. And Ashkelon is where, if you know what happened in the nursery, they went in and they killed 40 little babies that were in the cribs. Uh, but um, my heart hasn't grieved this much for something outside of my family and the church since 9-11. Because I've been disturbed. I still went to bed last night. And I, I have a tendency, you know, I don't cry. I tend to get very angry. And my anger has just been burning in my heart of what was, you know, what was done. And I, uh, you know, I, th there are innocents in Gaza who, you know, they didn't have a part of this. They're getting bombed to hell. And it's just, uh, you know, it's sad. I mean, war, war is sad. But um, we'll pray tonight for Israel. And um, I'll tell you, my message really ties in. It wasn't something I had prepared knowing, what, you know, what would happen. I'm continuing as we go through the book of Numbers. But I will be talking a lot tonight about, about Israel. So, um, I'm going to go to, uh, we're going to go to Numbers again. We're in 2829. Oh boy, this is, um, I had some problems, technical problems, but this is part two, not part one. The seven feasts of the Lord. And we're going to be reading from Numbers chapter 29, verses one through six. Stand with, stand with me uh, for the reading of Numbers chapter 29, one through six, the word of the Lord. And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. For you, uh, it is a day of blowing of the trumpets. You shall offer a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord, one young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year without blemish. Their grain offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths uh, for the ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering to make atonement for you, besides the burnt offerings with its grain offering in the new moon, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering, their drink offerings according to the ordinance as a sweet aroma, an offering made uh, by fire to the Lord. Father, I just pray, Lord God, as we come to your word tonight, open up our hearts, give us understanding to look, Lord God, as we have been looking at the seven feasts of Israel and see how they are fulfilled in Yeshua in his, Lord, his life, his death, his ministry, Lord God, and even being fulfilled in, Lord God, in future times. Pray, Lord God, just for, again, that illumination, Lord God, that enlightenment, 
to come to us, that we would truly, Lord God, be able to look into your word, which is a light, and that, Lord, the light within us will meet the light of God tonight, and we will all be enlightened. For Jesus, Lord God, and your glory, we pray this in your name. Amen. So, again, what I started with and, and said to you last week, you, you have in Numbers 28 and 29, it talks about, uh, essentially we have the seven feasts, but it also talked about the daily offering, the Sabbath, and then the new moon. But we've been focusing on the seven feasts uh, in Israel, and uh, I was talking uh, to you that essentially the instructions in Numbers chapter 20 and 29 is how the offering is to be offered. Leviticus talks about the actual offerings, but this, uh, these passages talk about how we are you know, to give and how the Israelites were to give. I'm going to get into that more with you next week. But uh, a couple of uh, key things that you know, is mentioned here. What you have in the seven biblical holidays, okay, or seven biblical feasts, is a prophetic picture of Messiah, of Jesus, of his ministry, of his work. Something, again, that the Lord, uh, you know, said, and something I repeat to you, though it's been said, he said many things referring to this. In Luke chapter 24, 44 through 45, on his appearance uh, of the uh, Sunday of the resurrection to the disciples, uh, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now that is what we call Tanakh. That is the Jewish Bible. That is our Old Testament. Everything from Genesis to Malachi. Uh, it is categorized a little bit different than the way uh, modern-day Bible scholars, Christian scholars, would categorize it. But it's it's the Law of Moses, it's the Prophets and the Psalms. Again, that's the Tanakh, that's the Old Testament, it's an entirety. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. What is he saying? That the Tanakh talks about him. Everything from Genesis to, uh, Genesis to Malachi, and again, chapter by chapter, uh, it talks about the you know, life, the, the birth, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the second coming of Jesus. And that is a key thing, and that's what we'll, we'll, we'll focus on tonight. Another key thing, essentially, when you look, and as I showed you last week, the spring holidays, Passover, First Fruits, Pentecost, and Love, uh, Unleavened Bread, we live in that today. You should be living in that blessing today, experiencing it. Jesus is our, our Passover lamb, right? We should be experiencing that. Now, the Feast of Trumpets and then the Day of Atonement, uh, the Feast of Atonement, the Day of Atonement and Tabernacles, those are not yet fulfilled. I believe we are very close to the Feast of Trumpets being fulfilled. So we'll, again, we'll dig into this uh, today. So first thing again, you have the, the you know, the Feast the feast of Passover, right? And we showed last week, Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. All the sacrificial lambs of the Old Testament, okay, are fulfilled in Jesus. The blood of sheep and goats could not take away our sins, but the blood of the Messiah took away our sins. Second, the feast of unleavened bread. And we talked about, again, leaven is a symbol of what? Sin. Jesus is the sinless Savior. We got into the Afikoman. If you, weren't, if you weren't here last week, you need to look at the message. You'll be blown away at what is done in every Jewish household on the celebration of Passover and see that you actually see 
this uh, feast of unleavened bread and Jesus being the Messiah actually being played out in their Passover feast, whether they believe or not. The, the third is the Feast of First Fruits, and the Feast of First Fruits, Jesus is our first fruits. He's the first fruits of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. And then we looked at the Feast of Pentecost. The fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit was poured out, okay, on the 120. That's the birth of the church. And uh, Pentecost, again, two loaves, remember, two loaves becoming one. Two, uh, essentially, eleven loaves, Gentiles and Jews, becoming one, right, in Jesus Christ. That is what makes up the modern-day church today. So, in the seven feasts, again, you have the spring feast, Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and Pentecost. And then what you had is you had a period of break, the summer harvest, and then in the fall, you had trumpets, atonement, and, and the Feast of Tabernacles, something that we have basically you're seeing right now, Jewish people celebrating and have celebrated in the last, you know, these last few weeks. The summer harvest, I believe, is a, a representation, again, of the, uh, of the church age. We are right now in the church age. Pentecost brought the birth of the church. If you go to the book of the Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, the seven churches, you have a picture, really, and, and if you, boy, if you get into church history, and I had to spend a couple of years studying church history, you see that there is this amazing, again, correlation between what the prophecy says about the seven churches and seven church periods through history. Um, last period being Laodicea, which I believe we're in right now, it's not, that's not a, really something that is complementary. And then the church age ends with the rapture of the church. Church is never mentioned again. Basically, church is never mentioned again after Revelation chapter 3. It seems the church is in heaven in chapters 4 and 5. And then what you have is everything that's taken place on earth, Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 18, no mention of the church. Really kind of you know, interesting. The church is mentioned over and over again in really chapters 1 through 3, and then never mentioned again during the tribulation period. And that, I think, is strong evidence to believe that the rapture happened sometime before the tribulation. So uh, I've done a, a number of great, you know, I think serious messages and, and really good messages on talking about why I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. How at one time I didn't. I was a post-tribulation rapture and uh, rapturist, and I became a mid-tribulation rapturist, and I come to the conclusion in these last know, 20 years or so in a pre-tribulation rapture. And I think there again, there's strong evidence. You'll see some of that tonight in, in, in what we look at. So then you move in to, again, the fall feast, and the first is the Feast of Trumpets. So let me give you a I'll give you a little summary. Again, in Leviticus, it's you know, explained in chapter 23. But essentially, the Feast of Trumpets marked the end of the summer harvest with the blowing of the shofar. I meant to bring my shofar tonight, and I forgot. I, I'm, I'm serious. I have, a, I have a shofar. I wanted to blow it for you tonight. Uh, essentially, the shofar was blown 100 times with the last trumpet, a long extended blast. Uh, will be fulfilled, okay, on the day of the rapture and resurrection of those who receive Jesus Christ as their Savior during the church age, which began on the day of Pentecost. So where do you see, again, the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets? Two, two major passages, one in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the other in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, 
I tell you a mystery. And that is really what the rapture is. It is a great mystery. The concept of mystery, something that is covered and then is revealed. We shall not all sleep. We all shall not all die. So there's talking about a generation of people who will not suffer death. Who in the Old Testament did not suffer death? Enoch and Elijah. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Twinkling of an eye, that's a millisecond. That's actually quicker, actually, than uh, actually a blinking of the eye. You get into the actual Greek word. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The entire generation of believers will suddenly, again, be transformed, okay, in uh, what, again, what we call uh, the rapture, okay, of, of the church. Now, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 15 through 17, I'll say 15 through 18 here, I'll go a little further. It says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who fall asleep. Okay, or are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. What does that mean? All those who have died in Christ okay, will be resurrected. Their bodies that are somewhere, right? Their DNA will suddenly, again, they will be raised up to be united with their soul. A believer dies, their soul goes to be with the Lord. They're conscious, Right? They're aware. They know who they are. They no longer, you know, have a physical body. They're giving some type of spiritual body. We talked about that a few weeks ago in the Sunday service on 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Suddenly, again, the believers who have died, their bodies will be united, okay, to their souls. Now, watch. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That is where they get the word. That actually, that word, that reptismos word, in, translated in uh, Latin is, is rapture. Rapture is not a, a Greek word. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. We will be transformed, changed, with a glorified body that is like the glorified body that Jesus had. Now, we won't be God, <laughs> We will not be gods, but we will have glorified bodies. Jesus was able to move through matter. Jesus was able to eat, right? The day of the resurrection. What did he eat? What, what did he have as a meal the day of the resurrection? And what else? Fish and... He had honeycombs. Honeycombs, the breakfast. You know, honey, he had a honeycomb. <laughs> honeycomb, breakfast. No, no. Yeah, he ate it. And, it. and like I said all the time, it didn't fall through him. He was trying to say to them, look, I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, just, uh, you know, a spirit. And, uh, but that is the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. We are, I believe, at the door. I truly believe this generation, right? This generation, I'm going to say this, will be, I will say it very likely could be. Because, again, no one knows the day or the hour. We start presuming and becoming kooky. Then the sixth feast is um, the Day of Atonement or the Feast of Atonement. And there's a, there's a flow. In fact, let me, let me say this. I've studied, I'm 
been studying the Word of God for 40 years, I never until this preparation of this study realized there was this flow of continuity with the seven fees. And you, 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 you'll, you'll see that right now. The Feast of Trumpets happens. Okay, now, let's look. The Day of Atonement, commemorating a solemn day, Israelites afflicted their souls for their own sins and the sins of their nation. A goat was sacrificed and his blood poured out upon the altar. And a second goat was held by the priest and then driven into the wilderness to take away uh, the sins, right? What is that goat called? Scapegoat. Jesus fulfilled both goats. And um, by the way, a solemn day, a day of repentance, a day of self-examination, a day of confession... Orthodox families remove every bit of yeast in the house. And not even Orthodox, right? Other conservatives and, uh, yeah, so they remove every, in fact, we used to have a, a, a woman who uh, was in our church who was a nanny working for a Jewish family. And her job leading up to the Day of Atonement was to basically turn the house upside down to find any crumb in the house. So she would have to remove the refrigerator to look and see, right, uh, the crumbs, and then she would remove them because, again, right, anything with yeast is associated with sin. Sometimes maybe becoming a, a little bit fanatical on the outward instead of, like Jesus said, it's really what's in the heart that, you know, that causes sin. But um, that it was, a, again, a solemn day of self-examination. Now, the Day of Atonement will be fulfilled at the end of the tribulation period when the Jews stand in awe of God's grace and they receive Jesus as their Messiah, the one whom God sent to atone for their sins. So let me, again, let me use a couple of illustrations here. I want to give you a, a picture here. This is a timeline. I think it's a very accurate timeline as we go through uh, the New Testament. But wait, we, are, we are in the church age. I believe <laughs> you are here. I believe we are, we are right at the door of the rapture of the church. When the rapture of the church occurs, by the way, you know, what happens to us, right? We are going to be essentially with the Lord in heaven for seven years. What's going on up there? Well, you have the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat of Christ. We will be judged. It is not a judgment of condemnation, but we will be judged according to what we have done for the Lord with the time that we've had since the day we were saved till the day that we were raptured. You're going to have to give an account. There even talks about some people who will be there in that accounting who did nothing for the Lord, but yet were still saved. Try to figure that out. 1 Corinthians 3. It almost says like they will be saved and their, their pants will still be singed. If you, you really look at, at what's said there, there are people, they did nothing for God. There's no reward. It says, enter into your rest. No crowns. And after the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat of Christ, you have the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 19. And that is a, a wedding feast. We're going to be celebrating. We ain't going to know what's going on down here. By the way, your pains, your painful memories, your sorrows, it's all gone. You ain't going to remember. He ain't going to let us go into eternity with that. But even again, read, read Revelation chapter 21. He's going to wipe away every tear. So that is what's going on, again, with the bride of Christ in heaven. Now, what's going on down here is what is called the seven-year tribulation. 
You have the first three and a half years, the beginning of sorrows and the abomination desolation. Antichrist goes into the temple, declares himself to be God, which unleashes the great tribulation. At the end of the seven years, you have the return of the Lord. That is Jesus' glorious appearing. There's a difference between the glorious appearing and the rapture of the church. Clear distinction in scripture. Then that ushers in the 1,000 year millennial kingdom. Mentioned six times, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 6. And mentioned throughout the prophets, details about what goes on there. Then you have the great white throne judgment, final judgment, and you go into eternity. So this period, this seven-year period, Daniel, right? Remember Daniel's, uh, you know, his 77, his 490 years. One seven-year period is, is left. And this is, essentially, this is Daniel's 70th week right here. That's the tribulation. You can read that, you know, again, you get into Daniel chapter 9, you can, you know, go into detail with that. Also, it's called Jacob's trouble. A time of Jacob's trouble. That this period, this seven-year period, is primarily for Israel. See what's going on with Israel right now? This will be what happened, will be a cakewalk. Because the nations will come against Israel. God will intervene. But what has happened now will uh, be a, a, a cakewalk to what you know, will happen you know, in the future. So um, I want to say this to you, just an important, this is important. There is, a, there is a theology, Roman Catholic Church, Reformed Churches, a lot of these, um, these new churches, you have these, it's the emerging church out in you know, California that's permeated now their theology into Christian churches. They basically believe that God is done with Israel. God's finished with Israel. Israel was done. And the prophecies that pertain to Israel in the Old Testament and New Testament basically are for the church. So this, this has led to tremendous anti-Semitism. From, from Christians. You can see when you get into things like the Inquisition and the Crusades, a lot of that was essentially the, the Jewish people had no purpose. So they're, they're, they're useless. I even talked to a, a man who was um, in ministry with me here, who one day he said to me how basically like God has no use for the Jews. It's just they're, you know, they're gone, they're, they're dead, and there's nothing that he has for them. Again, totally, totally ignorant and oblivious to what, you know, to what the scriptures say. So let me, let, let me add, just ask you, I'm going to, boy, I'm going to share with you. <laughs> this is from Romans. My, my computer is cutting off things. This is Romans chapter 11. For, notice Paul, what he says here. For I do not desire, that's what he's saying, for I do not desire that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Now, Paul is grieving. In, in Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, over Israel and their unbelief. Though he's a Jew, all the apostles were Jews, the early church was Jewish, and the belief is that there could have been as many as 150,000 Jews in Israel leading up to the destruction of the temple in, in uh, 70 AD. So uh, Paul says this, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. 
So we meet Jewish people, right? They're, they're blind. Like I was talking about the afikoman last week, right? Three compartments of the afikoman, the middle piece of matzah is broken. <laughs> they hide it. Then it's brought back and redeemed. I mean, it's a, it's a picture of the resurrection of Jesus, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three compartments being the Trinity, and they're totally blind to it. Some of you who are, you know, you, you're, you're Jewish or you have Jewish family, you know what I'm talking about. And, and it's, you know, it's, it, it's amazing, the blindness, but that the blindness in part has happened to, the, to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. When does the fullness of the Gentiles come in? The rapture. The rapture is, is going to be, I mean, it's primarily Gentiles. There are going to be some Jews. There's always the remnant. But, I mean, even, you know, look at Living Word Community Church. We have a handful of Jewish believers. Most of us are Gentiles. We've been engrafted. So, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then, verse 26, and so all Israel will be saved. Now, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, you get into Zechariah and you look at Zechariah 12, 13, and 14, you really get a picture of this, of what's happening. I just want to stress this. Zechariah 12, 13, and 14 is dealing with the end times. So in, in chapter uh, 12, verse 10, here the Lord says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Understand what a spirit of grace and supplication is. A spirit of grace is, that's God, that's God reaching people with his love, with his salvation. And then they will look upon me whom they've pierced. And yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for the for firstborn. I believe this, this is what is happening at the end of the tribulation period. In Zechariah 13, you have, In that day a fountain shall be opened to the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. That fountain is the, the fountain of salvation. It's the fountain of grace, the fountain of mercy. And then you go to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8 through 9, And it shall come to pass in the land, says the Lord, now watch this, it says that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die. So this is again, this is coming, this is the tribulation. And two-thirds of, of Israelites will be cut off, they, they will die. But one-third shall be left in it. So now what you have is, and by the way, I, I, I don't think this is necessarily saying that the two-thirds will be um, unsaved people. They will die. Because of this massive persecution that comes upon the Jews. Let me, let me take a minute here. I was talking to a man on the phone yesterday. He said to me, Christian man from Oklahoma, solid Christian man. He says to me, why is this happening to the Jewish people? And so you look and say, well, there's all this hatred in Hamas, this political strife that's been going on between the Palestinians and and Israel, the difficulties that are going on with Muslims and Jews, and the, the ultimate reason this is happening, it's being generated from who? From Satan. Satan, Satan has been trying to wipe out the Jewish people since, since the very beginning. <laughs> you go back to, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, why, why did Pharaoh try to basically create a genocide-killing 
the babies, right, that were, that were being born, because it would have basically, right there, cut off the line of Israel that would bring forth Messiah and bring salvation to the world. So, you, you know, you can be looking at the, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Assyrians, you can be looking at the Syrians and um, Antiochus Epiphanes, who, who murdered about 1.1 million Jews in 160 to 164, or 164 to 160 uh, BC. Why does Herod kill the babies of Bethlehem? These people, look, think of this. Herod slaughtered the babies of Bethlehem. What did these people do? They went in and slaughtered babies. Now, you look at the persecution of the Romans, and again, 1.1 million Jews were killed in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And they were dispersed throughout the world, and there were about 90,000 of them that were taken into slaves into Rome. And you look at the last 2,000 years, most people think of the, you know, the Holocaust under Hitler, 6.5 million Jews right, were, were killed in the Holocaust. Folks, look at the last 2,000 years. The Jewish people have been persecuted. They have been murdered by the so-called Christian church, by crusaders, inquisitions. But they have been exiled. I mean, if you read, if you go on Google and, and put down the exiles of the Jewish people in Europe over the course of the last 1,700 years, if I brought it to you, it's like 17 pages long of how many times the Jewish people have been exiled from different cities in Germany, in Spain, in Great Britain, in Italy. So they've just been, been persecuted throughout the whole time. So you say, well, Messiah came, Messiah died on the cross, Messiah was raised from the dead. Why is Satan still going after the Jews? Because God still has a purpose for the Jews, and he is trying to change the very plans, right? The very laws, the very edicts of God. So what you're seeing happening with, you know, with what has happened the last few days, that is the main reason. Satan is behind it. You see the, the hatred, right? You see these protests going on. You see these kids in, at Harvard University, right, signing on, right, with, with the terrorists. You, you know, you, you, you see we have, poly, you know, the, the squad. They're a bunch of demon-possessed maniacs. You know, I mean, not only do they, uh, for the destruction of Israel, the genocide of Israel, they are also for the, the murder of the unborn and the, basically the mutilation of children. These are demon-possessed people. I said, I said that one day. I was saying that one of them is demon. Somebody you know, questioned and said, how could you say they were demon-possessed? He's talking about somebody who is absolutely hell-bent against God. I mean, come on. Don't you think that, you know, again, that he's in control there, using these people in power? So, essentially, that, you know, that's it. So, let me go on here. But one-third shall be left in, in it, and I will bring the one-third to the fire... I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will come, uh, they will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say this is my people and each one will say the Lord is my God. Where do these people go after this? Jesus comes back. You have one third of Israel alive and they're believers that is coming. Where do they go? They go into the millennial kingdom and they populate it. One third. By the way, there are some Gentiles who are, Gentiles who are going to go <laughs> Gentiles who are going to go along with them. And uh, so now you flow in, right? L look at this. You have the Feast of Trumpets, the Rapture. You have the Feast of Atonement, the salvation of the Jewish people. 
And then you have the Feast of Tabernacles. That is the Millennial Kingdom. So in Leviticus again, 23, you, you have this, but the Feast of Tabernacles commemorating the 40 years their forefathers dwelled in tents in the wilderness will be partially fulfilled when the Jews who are saved during the tribulation live in the promised land with the Lord for 1,000 years. Will be finally fulfilled in eternity as the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. So again, here is the, you know, the picture. Here is the glorious appearing, the return of Christ. You have a large number, right, of Jewish people, and as I'll show you, also Gentile people who were believers, who made it through this, I mean, half of the world's population, if you read Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 9, half of the world's population will die during this time. That's about 4 billion people right now. So, I mean, there's so many different, you know, judgments and things that Satan brings, and but those who survive, again, they're going to go in and they're going to repopulate the Millennial Kingdom. 1,000 years. This time of peace. There's no wars. They beat their swords into plowshares, right? They be, uh, will, you know, they will change their army tanks, right, into riding on horses. I'm paraphrasing. So Zechariah chapter 13, again, 8 and 9. And it shall come to pass in the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. Right? So this one-third will go on to populate the Mundo Kingdom. I want to share, you, I want to share with you another passage. This is, again, um, this, is, this is from Luke 17. I'm sorry that I'm, I'm losing this. Verse 26 through 37. It says this. It says, And as it was in the days of Noah so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate and they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day of, uh, that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it will be, in the day of the Son of Man, when he's real, revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop, and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away, and likewise the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. He says this, I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed, one will be taken and the other left, and two women will be grinding together, the one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field, the one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Lord, where? Where, Lord, will this be? So he said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will gather together. Now, what do you think that's referring to? How many of you think that's referring to the rapture? Wow. You think so? Be careful there. Be careful, Joanne. Most Christians think that's the rapture. I did. When somebody first told me about the rapture, I said, that's the rapture. People, preachers told me, that's talking about the rapture. 
I began to learn, you know, again, how to study the word. And context, context, context is important. So, some will be taken and some will be left. Okay. Noah. Who was taken and who was left? Who was left on earth after the flood? Noah. Right? His wife and his three daughters and his three sons-in-law. Who was taken? Who was, oh, the unbelievers were taken. Lot. Who was left and who was taken? Lot and his two daughters were left. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife, they were taken. They're taken out of the earth. So you know the context, what it's saying here. One will be taken and one is left. Who are the ones who are taken? They're the unbelievers. But if, you, if you're going to take it, right, if you're going to take it in this context, again, you, you be careful. Preachers, I mean, I'll tell you, and I've become very careful. I said it's the way I handle the Word of God because preachers spit stuff out. And I, you know, I'd be listening to this preacher on the radio and that preacher on the radio, and pretty sound teachers, and they're just spinning out and saying, oh, this, this is the rapture. Well, if it's the rapture, then it seems like then the believers are going to be taken. But that doesn't, again, fit the context of what, you know, what the Word of God is saying about Noah and about Lot, the times. Now, notice just down in verse 37, and they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? And so he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. The word eagles, that's a really poor translation. The word is birds of play, vultures. And eagles can be vultures too. Oh, they could be, you know, birds of prey. But what it's saying is there are going to be a whole lot of dead bodies, and then the birds of prey are going to come. What do they do when you see roadkill on the side of the road? What do you see? You see the vultures there eating it. By the way, there's going to be a major cleanup. There's a, there's a period that you see in Daniel, sometimes hard to understand, with uh, there's this period of days. People are like, well, why are there a period of days that God is going to do a major cleanup? I mean, the, the earth is really messed up at this point. And now God is going to create this incredible environment where people are going to be living for the next 1,000 years in complete harmony with, with God, with nature, with one another. So there's going to be a major cleanup. And, and people say, well, why doesn't God just do it in an instant? I believe he can do it in an instant. But there are going to be people that he's going to have to be moving around while this happens. So there is going to be a generation okay, of believers at his glorious appearing both Gentiles and Jews, who go into the millennial kingdom and inhabit it. So I'll go to Zechariah 14, 16, and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations, so now no, it's not only talking about Jews, it's talking about Gentiles, which came against Jerusalem. Now these are, are people who obviously were believers from the nations. So you may have people from the, uh, from the United States who were totally opposed to the opposition of the United States, say, going against Israel. But these are people who are saved, or maybe they're from Russia, or maybe you know, they're from Libya, maybe they're from uh, Iran. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus will reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. Jesus will teach from Jerusalem for a thousand years. Wouldn't that be great? Hey, let's go to Jerusalem 
let's spend a couple days there and let's just sit at the feet of the Lord and have him teach us the word. That would be far better than hearing me teach the word. Look at, look at Isaiah. I'll just, I'll just touch on this real quick and I'm pretty much done. Now it shall come to pass in later days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. The Lord's going to be, again, teaching. Now, partial fulfillment, I said, of the Feast of Tabernacles. Ultimate fulfillment, Revelation chapter 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Notice that, the Feast of Tabernacles. The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be uh, with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. That very tabernacle of God, what is that called in Revelation 21? It is called the New Jerusalem, which is 1,200 by 1,200 by 1,200 stadia. That's 1,380 miles in height, in width, and in length. Depth. It's a perfect cube. What is the other perfect cube in the Bible? Where is there another perfect cube in the Bible? Where is it? Nobody? A perfect cube. Let me give you it. It's 15 by 15 by 15. The Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies. This, this is a Holy of Holies where right, God dwelt in the Holy of Holies and he manifested his presence there. Well, this is God, the manifestation of... There's no need for the sun. There's no need for any coat of light because God illuminates the entire... We're in the presence of God for all eternity. That's the new Jerusalem. Want to go in and look, take a look around? The Lord's inviting us tonight to take take this... uh, Right, streets of gold. (laughs) The river of life. (laughs) We try to make a picture of what this means. So it's just essentially, again, here we are. Again, we're living in the blessing of the first four feasts where I I believe about to enter in to the fifth. And um, by the way, if you really understand, I believe this, these five are the church. The actual atonement of, of, of Israel, that's not, that's not us. And uh, the bride of Christ, we're raptured, so we are not going to physically be repopulating the millennial kingdom. I do believe we may be visiting it. We may, I mean, this is going to be angels and the, the, those who have, you know, died, those who have been raptured, that we will be, we, we may be the teachers. We may be teaching the, the people who have not died and their offspring in the millennial kingdom. There's some verses that seem to allude to that. The church is going to be the teachers. You will be teaching. So, um... Uh, so keep studying your Bible because you don't want to be dumb and not be able to explain to them what it means. Here's, here's just a, a, a final word. Right, here we are. Here we are, folks. Last word of exhortation. Matthew chapter 24, 23-44. You know what I want to do, worship team? I'm just going to go right into prayer. I want to pray for Israel. 
But um, for us, Matthew 24, 43 through 44, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus gives a whole bunch of signs in Matthew 24. We're seeing them fulfilled. This past week, again, we're seeing more fulfilled. We need to be ready. No time to be playing around. You got sin in your life, you need to repent from it. You're not sure about your salvation, you need to make sure that you're saved and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent of your sins and turn away from them. But you want, you want to have that assurance of your salvation right now because I believe he can come. He can come at any moment. Amen?